Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Season 3 of our podcast continues with today's episode of Columbo from Season 2 of Columbo, Episode 1, Etude in Black, starring longtime friend of Peter Falk, John Cassavetes, also starring Blythe Danner, who is Gwyneth Paltrow's mom. This episode was directed by Nicholas Colasanto, who you may know from the 90s television show Coach. The teleplay was by Stephen Bocco, and the story was by Richard Levinson and William Link. The original air date was September 17, 1972, and the runtime was 98 minutes. Let's get right to the episode summary. Orchestra conductor Alex Benedict murders his pianist mistress Jennifer Wells after she gives him an ultimatum to come clean with his wife about their affair. The murder. So the opening scene shows Cassavetes in his mansion hammering away on his piano. The piece finishes, so he stubs out his cigarette. Then he runs up the stairs and drinks a quick brandy and he starts packing a briefcase full of murdering kit stuff like leather gloves and a faked typed up note from his victim. He gets into his little car and drives to the mechanics. He tells Mike, Mike the mechanic, that his engine doesn't sound right. He asks him to fix it. It's a nice little clip. Let's listen to it here. That's gotta be his nibs again. Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael, boy. How are you? Got problems again. Got a little few problems. You're a virtuoso, Mike. Fix this thing for me. Tune it, oil it, talk to it, do whatever you have to, but fix it. It's not running right. I got a rattle in the brass section. The woodwinds are flat. What's this thing over here? Oh, that's the distributor. Anyway, fix it. I'll see you tomorrow around noon, all right? Okay. Uh, do you need a ride now? No, I, my wife is supposed to meet me here. Oh, there she is now, right on time as always. Hi, honey. Darling, I have to wash my hands. I'll be right there, Mike. Yeah, Cassavetes is brilliant. He has a natural way about him. Uh, he's kind of charming, but slimy. Very good. So Benedict goes into the bathroom to wash his hands. No soap. While in the bathroom, he unlocks the large bathroom window. Okay, so now Blythe Danner picks up uh, Alex Cassavetes, and they drive to an outdoor band shell where the symphony will be performing later that night. When they arrive, Alex begins making a pest of himself and acting like a diva with the sound technicians. Let's listen to the clip. Mommy, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to see Billy a second. Okay. How's it going, William? Oh, hello, Alex. I'm just getting a line up on the camera positions. Are we locked into these positions? Oh, just about. Frank, you in the control room? Yes, Mr. Benedict. I would like to vary these camera positions from last time. How would you like them, Mr. Benedict? Oh, I'd like one on me as usual, and, uh, let's see, I think we should have a camera over there, stage left, and I think we should have a camera wild on the orchestra with lots of movement. I want to get away from these usual, uh, dull looks that we get around here. Yes, Mr. Benedict. You think we can arrange to make that happen? 
exactly like that during the concert? Alex, Alex, I'm sorry. I mean, I just don't want any of that during the concert. Is that clear? Alex, I'll check it out. How do people ever listen to symphonies before the age of electronics and stupid technicians? Don't be in my dressing room until 8 o'clock. I'd like you to handle all problems till then. I'd rather not be disturbed. I have something going, all right, William? Okay, Alex. <laughs> Yeah, so that all seems to be uh, planned on Benedict's end just to make sure that no one will attempt to bother him while he's in his dressing room, quote-unquote, napping. Um, So now he leaves for his dressing room, and he gets dressed in a tux and a trench coat. And then we see him running down a walkway outside towards the road, and we see him entering the garage by the bathroom window that he unlocked earlier. He lowers his car from the hydraulic platform. He opens the garage and he drives the car out. And he closes the garage behind him and then he drives away. And so now we see him in Jennifer Wells' home. And she's playing the piano and doesn't see that Alex has entered the room behind her. And he kind of grabs her neck from behind and kisses her. Um, It's in a, a really aggressive but passionate kind of way. He seems a little angry with her but like he's like he's hiding it a little bit. Uh, she says she thought he might be angry with her, and their ensuing conversation explains for the audience that she's given him an ultimatum. Um, she says he's a genius, but he's a little weak, and he doesn't want to lose his wife's money. So then she tries to kiss him, uh, but he acts all weird. He pulls away, and he says he's so confused right now that all he can understand is music. Um, so she starts to play something on the piano for him, and as she plays, he slowly gets his white gloves on while enjoying the music. He wraps a heavy ashtray in a thin green towel, and then he sneaks up behind her and he cracks her on the head with the ashtray. She's dead. So he then moves the body into the kitchen and sits in a chair and... He acts like he's sitting on a, it's a stool and it's a high up stool and he acts like he's falling forward as if to show how she would have fallen forward and hit her head on the open oven door. Um, So then he turns on the gas of the oven and he returns the ashtray. So he's trying to, he's trying to set up the scene where it looks like she turned on the gas for the oven and sat on that stool and fell and hit her head on the oven door. Seems kind of weird, but uh, I guess you get the idea. So he goes into the other room and he inserts the fake letter that he has typed up into her typewriter and then he leaves. And we're shown his uh, lapel flower. It's uh, like a carnation. It's actually on the carpet, so he's dropped it. So outside, there's a little girl playing with her dog and uh, in the yard, but she has her back to Alex, so she doesn't really see him. And he makes his way back to his dressing room. Uh, This guy must be sweating bullets because it's L.A. and he's running around in a tuxedo um, and a trench coat. So his wife and mother-in-law arrive um, outside his dressing room. He exits the dressing room to greet them. The concert director arrives to tell Alex that Jennifer Wells hasn't shown up yet. He says he tried to reach her, but the phone line is busy. Alex acts really upset uh, at Jennifer's irresponsibility. He picks up the phone and tells the operator that he's been trying to reach her number, 555, 
1-800-799-7921 and ask her to cut in. When he says the number off by heart, uh, Blythe Danner comes to full attention and she looks up at him like she's uh, like there's a past there. Uh, as if she thinks, well, is he fooling around with her or what? Um, the operator says there's no one on the line. Alex freaks out, says he wants her canceled out of the concert and that they'll play the Beethoven instead. So then the concert director calls the police and asks them to do like a, you know, a courtesy check on her. So the concert begins. They're performing Beethoven and the scene flips between the cops arriving at Jennifer Wells' home and Alex conducting. So just as the cops bust into her home, the camera flips to Alex, who notices that his flower is missing from his lapel. Then we're shown the flower on Jennifer Wells' carpet. The Columbo intro. So typically when Columbo enters a scene, they show him either looking like a fool or his car breaking down. He looks like uh, silly anyway. So this time we've got him at the vet and he has a new dog that he rescued from the dog pound. I think it's a wiener dog, but they're all dogs to me. So I don't know. Columbo carries the dog around like a corpse. The dog's pretty cute. Uh, the scene is purely to reinforce that the concert was on TV. Uh, well, and to be fair, I mean, it's to uh, reinforce Columbo's character, too, that he's, I don't know, just a simple, lovable guy and whatever. Uh, so the vet is watching the concert on the live TV broadcast on TV. So after the concert, Alex comes off stage and he is manic with excitement uh, after his performance. And then Blythe Danner and the concert director tell Alex that Jennifer Wells is dead. And Cassavetes kind of makes this stunned face. So it's pretty good. So now, um, at Jennifer Wells' home, the police are gathering evidence. Columbo remarks that he hates suicide. He then goes on a long rant about the dossier the department gave him versus the reality of Jennifer's suicide. Let's listen. I can't stand suicide. Murder is bad, but suicide is sadder. Do you read this? I browse through it. This is what they gave me. This is the dossier that they gave me. Female Caucasian piano player born Kenosha, Wisconsin. This is what they gave me. Now look what I find in the scrapbook. Miss Wells, London. Miss Wells, Paris. Miss Wells, Miss Wells, Miss Wells. Genius, superb, talented, magnificent, feeling, taste, fabulous. Look what the department gives me. Female Caucasian piano player born Kenosha, Wisconsin. Look what I find in the scrapbook. Look at these pictures. Girl has a wonderful shape, don't you think? Look at those eyes. Bedroom eyes. Look what the department gives me. Female Caucasian piano player born Kenosha, Wisconsin. No bleach there, regular hair. No fear there. No heavy makeup. Got a girl with a body, money, and a career. Got some column items to show the crowd she went with. Best people. Dukes, earls, politicians, big people. So add that, what's missing? Something. A man, a man, a person, somebody. Woman like that's gotta have somebody. Eyes like that. But that's me, I'm paranoid. Every time I see a dead body, I think it's been murdered. 
Can't imagine anyone murdering themselves. Especially a young girl like that. Beautiful eyes. But that's me. I like to see everyone die of old age. Uh, that's good stuff. That Columbo. So Alex arrives, and uh, he's wearing sunglasses, even though it's nighttime, and a trench coat. He tells the sergeant with the voice that sounds like it's been dubbed in afterwards about how Jennifer didn't show, and they called the police. Meanwhile, he's scanning the room for his lapel flower. I guess that's why he has the sunglasses on. He sees it, and when the sergeant leaves the room, Alex takes off his coat and pretends his lapel flower just got knocked off by his coat. He picks it up from the floor, and this gets Columbo's attention. So Alex says he was taking off his coat, and the flower got knocked off. Columbo introduces himself and says he's a big fan. He and his wife listened to the Blue Danube record that Alex conducted on. He asks Alex to confirm when he arrived at the concert and when Jennifer would have arrived. He's also able to determine Alex's car was in the garage uh, overnight. So suddenly then, Paul, a trumpet player in the symphony, comes busting in, and he's adamant that there is no way Jennifer Wells killed herself. He's very upset. And Columbo observes this, and then Alex tells Paul, uh, he says, come and see me tomorrow, Paul. Um, and then Paul, having served his purpose, just basically leaves. So, so Alex then leaves. And outside, there's some media waiting to ask questions. He gives a one-liner about Jennifer being talented, and then he leaves. And if you look closely, you'll see that Alex is wearing a flower, and this will become important later. So Columbo leaves, and the little girl from outside of Jennifer's house is looking into his car. Columbo says hi, and she lays into him about leaving her do- uh, leaving his dog in the car with the windows rolled up, and rightly so. And she tells him she was friends with Jennifer and she would sometimes watch her cockatoo named Chopin. She doesn't seem too broken up about Jennifer's death. So now Alex is arriving at his home and when he enters, Blythe Danner is asleep on the couch. She wakes and she asks him how well he knew Jennifer. Let's listen to the clip. How well did you know her, Alex? Oh, you know? I don't know. Now, what is that supposed to mean? You know her phone number by heart. I know a lot of telephone numbers of people I work with by heart. You want some water? Yes, sir. Alex? What? Never mind. Now, go ahead, ask me. I know what you're going to ask anyway. The answer is no, we didn't make love. In the first place, I have a rule. Never any complications with people I work with. How much in the second place, me? You're always imagining that I'm, I'm leaping into beds all over town. I've never done that. Oh, Alex, don't. I know you. I always people feel that they know me. I feel like I'm being seen through, as if I'm in some constant masquerade. I'm just myself. Look at me. I'm just me. I am what you see. Now, what do you think happened? You think I made love to Jennifer and then she killed herself for me? No, 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 I don't. I I don't know what I'm thinking sometimes. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. I just... Nice, sweet little Janice. Nice little Janice. I'm awful. I The things I think... 
Tell me why. No, I can't. Why? Why did you marry me? Sometimes I wonder why you married me. I mean, I'm not talented. I'm nothing. Why? Why me? Just one reason. What? I love you. Yeah, so I thought Alex did a great job of uh, diffusing the situation. Um, I mean, if it became known that he was involved with Jennifer, he would be right in Columbo's radar. I mean, he's there anyway, but... The he knows scene. Or is it? Columbo arrives at Alex's home. He starts fawning over the size of Alex's home and asking about the value of the home and the value of the furniture and the cost of paying for the staff and how much money Alex makes and all kinds of personal questions. Then he asks for his autograph and he leaves abruptly. I think at this point we can presume that Columbo is on to Alex. I'm not sure of the exact moment, but he started with the silly and inappropriate questions and he's locked onto Alex and he's following him around. In most episodes, there is a definite scene that you can point to or a single look that tells you um, that he knows that Columbo knows the guy's a murderer. Um, in this case, I, I haven't seen it or I, I, I mean, it could have been the flower scene, but um, I didn't really notice it, but he's acting now like, like he knows he's doing the silly stuff. He's following him around. Um, he's locked on to Alex. So next scene, we have Benedict arrives at the mechanics to pick up his car and Columbo is inside. He's sitting in the driver's seat of the car, revving the motor and Benedict is starting to get irritated with Columbo. He asks Columbo what he thinks he's doing, and Columbo starts going on about Alex's car and how wonderful it is. Let's listen to the clip. Lieutenant? Oh, hi, Maestro. How's everything? Ah, uh, just fine. Would you mind telling me what you think you're doing? What a car. What a piece of machinery. I mean, just sitting in this thing makes me feel good. I smell this leather, I feel the felt, I look at this wood. I want to tell you, all my life I wanted a car like this. Of course, on my salary, forget about it. But <laughs> this car, I want to tell you. I really have some work to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So right after that, Columbo tells Benedict that he's very upset about this Jennifer Wells suicide. He doesn't know why such a beautiful woman would commit suicide. Uh, as if that has anything to do with it. Alex tells Columbo that artists go up and then they go down and they go up and they come way down and we don't really know until it's too late. Um, Columbo suggests that maybe she didn't commit suicide. And Alex said he considered the same thing, but then he rejected it. And for what I thought was a pretty logical reason. He says that we, in our normal everyday lives, are unable to accept suicide, but it does happen. And uh, he's right. So there's a good scene next that kind of illustrates how Columbo uses this technique of raising a question slash raising a concern and then changing the subject abruptly to something trivial. 
and then coming back to the original point eventually. But he uses this technique frequently in episodes to see if the suspect will show concern or will try to bring the conversation back around to the original raised point or offer unsolicited theories, etc. You know, to see if the, the suspect is, is worried or concerned or is trying to steer the conversation, this sort of thing. Let's listen to the clip. You know, there's something else that bothers me. I was speaking to that little girl next door. And this thing will hang me up if I live to be. Aren't they beautiful? Hmm? They really knew how to make cars in those days, didn't they? Well, you look at the lines on that car. Spoked wheels. Isn't this a honey? Yeah. Huh? Beautiful car. Oh, if they would make them like that today. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Isn't it something? We were that. You were saying something about a little girl. Right. How did I get off that? Well, what's the difference? About the girl, right. Yeah, she was a very good friend of Jennifer. She told me that. She used to go in there and take care of Chopin. Chopin? The little pet bird she had. Cockatoo. She never mentioned it to you? Yes, I just simply forgot. Oh, I guess you forgot the name. Right. Well, anyway, she had this pet bird. Very strange. What do you mean strange? How strange? Had this bird for years. Now, you have to love those birds to keep them because they're plenty of trouble. Believe me, this is what I can't figure out. Why didn't she take the trouble to save that bird before she turned on the gas? She was simply distraught and just forgot. I mean, what about the suicide note? You know, there's something funny about that. <laughs> you know, most of those notes are written by hand. This one was typed. She typed everything. I have to go. How'd you know that? Nice little scene. So the, right after that, Alex leaves, and Columbo asks Mike, the mechanic, if there was anything wrong with Alex's car. And Mike says Alex thought it was idling too high. So essentially, there was nothing wrong with the car and no reason for the car to be in the shop other than an alibi. We also find out that they lock up the customers' cars each night so they are not accessible. So Alex arrives at the band shell, um, in, an, in the next scene, Columbo is playing chopsticks on the piano, you know, that sort of thing. Sorry about that. Columbo has brought Jennifer Wells's typewriter with him. He starts to explain to Alex how the paper hasn't been removed, but if you type on the suicide note, the text doesn't line up, meaning it's like someone typed it, removed it, then put it back. So Columbo thinks that someone murdered Jennifer Wells and typed the letter to make it look like a suicide. Let's listen to the clip. Suppose she didn't type it. Suppose somebody else typed it. All right, who? Who did it? Whoever murdered her. <laughs> you know, Lieutenant, you're really a cocky fellow. You're very sure of this, aren't you? I think that there is a very distinct possibility of murder in this case, yes. I think there's a possibility, but I don't think it's distinct. Suppose the murderer in this case was a friend of hers. Suppose the murderer in this case was a man who had access to her house, came and went whenever he wanted to, typed up that letter beforehand when she wasn't around. Promise me you'll think about it. When you come up with the correct answer, you'll let me know. I'm going to take a nap now. Will you excuse me? 
Suppose it was you. I heard you say something, but I wasn't sure what I you said. I said suppose it was you. I'm not saying it was you, sir. No, I was just thinking out loud. You know you're an audacious fellow. You see, I have a theory, and I would like to use you as an example, if you don't oh, mind. Oh, please, use me as your example. Uh, suppose, here, you take your car to Mike's garage. Your wife picks you up, she drives you here. You know, you're really intrigued with my little car, aren't you? Well, I am, sort of, because, you see, Mike didn't find anything wrong with it. And it would be a wonderful place to leave it if you wanted to prove that you didn't have a car. Now, why would I want to prove that? Well, if you didn't have a car, how would you get to Miss Wells' apartment and back here in time for the performance? You see, you can't take a cab because they keep records and there's no buses. You can't rent a car because you have to show your license. Getting in and out of here undetected, that wouldn't be too tough. You know your way around pretty good. <laughs> all right, all right, come on. Then you walk to Mike's place, it's only three and a half minutes, I timed it. You get in somehow through an open window, whatever. You take out the car. You drive to Miss Wells' apartment. You commit the crime. Replace the car and you walk back here. Is that it? That's a nice clip. So then Columbo tells Alex about the mileage. Uh, the car had nine more miles when uh, it has nine more miles on it now than it did when he brought it into Mike the Mechanics. And the round trip to Jennifer Wells's is nine miles, of course. Alex tells Columbo that. He didn't kill Jennifer Wells, and just before Columbo leaves, Columbo tells Alex that the death has officially been declared a homicide. All right, so next we get this scene where Paul, the trumpet player, is rehearsing with a band in a jazz bar. So Columbo uh, saunters into the bar, I guess, and uh, he claims he came into the bar looking for a match. And it's just a coincidence, but uh, Paul quickly realizes that Columbo is there to question him. Columbo says to Paul that he looked very upset the other night, uh, the night of Jennifer Wells' death, and he seemed adamant that she wouldn't have killed herself. So Paul admits that they had a relationship, but she broke it off because there was another man in her life. So Columbo asks who the other man is, but Paul claims he didn't know. And so Columbo doesn't buy it. So then Columbo visits Blythe Danner. And she's just finishing up a tennis lesson because that's what rich people do. They have tennis lessons. Um, he tells Blythe that he wants to talk to all of the people who knew Jennifer intimately. And she doesn't like that. Blythe hears the word intimate and she says, well, I don't, you know, Alex doesn't, doesn't know her intimately. I don't know what that means. And then Columbo uh, kind of bumbles through it. Um, and says, no, 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 it's just I want to talk to everybody that knew her intimately uh, because it's a murder investigation now. And this makes Blythe very upset. Um, so Columbo's just there. He's kind of planting a seed with Blythe Danner to let her know that, yeah, I suspect your husband murdered her and they were having an affair, this sort of stuff. Um, so then Blythe kind of storms off uh, just as uh, Cassavetes arrives and Columbo says, oh, I didn't mean to upset her. I just came over um, because I heard that Jennifer was having an affair with a man. And I wanted to see if uh, you had heard anything about it. And then he leaves. So after he leaves, um, Cassavetes, sorry, I keep, inter I keep uh, switching around and referring to 
him as Benedict or Alex or Cassavetes. John Cassavetes plays Alex Benedict. Benedict. So I'm just using them all. So Alex enters the house and then Blythe Danner immediately asks why Columbo keeps coming around. What does he want? Um, and then Alex says he doesn't know and uh, he doesn't think Columbo really knows either, that he's just fishing. Um, anyways, but Blythe says to Alex, you know, is there anything that, that I should know that you need to tell me? And he kind of cuts her off and says, I didn't kill Jennifer. I wasn't having an affair with her. Um, but she clearly doesn't believe him. Okay, so in the next scene, um, in a scene that is meant to be funny, uh, but it kind of comes off as a little creepy, but mostly just super awkward. Columbo visits Audrey, the little girl, at her dance class, where he confirms that a man in a tuxedo used to visit Jennifer Wells on a regular basis, and that she saw the same man in the tuxedo leave Jennifer Wells's house on the day that she died. So in the next scene, Alex is conducting the symphony uh, in a rehearsal, and they're rehearsing uh, the soundtrack to some Nazi propaganda film when Columbo arrives with Audrey, the, the little girl. They stop rehearsing, and Alex begins giving Paul some musical direction when Columbo interjects. And then Alex has had enough. So he's like, come on, Columbo. Like, what are you doing here? What's going on? Columbo explains that Audrey is here to point out the man who she witnessed leaving Jennifer's home on the day that she was killed. And Audrey walks right over and points directly at Paul. Uh, and there's a close-up of Columbo giving the rug pull face. So now... Uh, the symphony board, like the board of directors for the symphony, seems to be having an impromptu meeting to discuss how these new facts about Paul affect their orchestra. So there's a small board. Um, there's barely enough people to make a quorum. There's like five people there. Alex arrives, and there doesn't seem to be any issue with him crashing a board meeting uh, as they invite him in and have him sit and give his feedback. So Alex says... He's there because Paul can use a friend, quote. But he's really there to fuel the fire. He says he thinks Paul will be cleared of the charges and that they ought to give him a break because he's been in a lot of trouble in his time and he could use the break. And they ask, you know, like, well, trouble? What kind of trouble? And Alex says, oh, assault. <laughs> so now um, we got uh, Blythe Danner's mom and Paul and Columbo all meet in like her office. And the mom explains uh, that Alex tried to defend him to the board, but they heard about his troubled past. And Paul admits that he was in love with Jennifer, but she broke it off weeks before she died. He said that he was really hung up on her and she allowed him to keep seeing her on the side while she was seeing her other man. And on the day of her death, Paul says he showed up at her place, but she never answered. And Columbo confirms uh, that he believes Paul's story. So Mrs. Fielding, that's Blythe Danner's uh, mom, explains that the symphony and Blythe are her babies. And if anybody messes with either of them, they're out. She suspends Paul with pay until the investigation is over. 
and she asks Paul to vanish quietly for a while, and he leaves. And Columbo asks uh, Mrs. Fielding if what she said also applies to Alex, so would he be out too? And she confirms, yeah, especially Alex. He's out if he screws, if he messes with my daughter. So Columbo seems intrigued by this. So now we're back at the vets so that Dog can get his shots. The TV is playing the same concert from the night that Jennifer Wells died. So Columbo does a face palm when he, not literally, but, you know, figuratively, when he realizes that the concert was actually on tape. And he gets a light bulb from this. The get. So now Columbo shows up at rehearsal. Alex is conducting and Blythe is watching from the seats. The rehearsal comes to an end and Columbo says that this is the last time that he will bother them. He just needs to clear up one last thing. They agree and go into another room with a projector. Before Columbo starts the clips that he's going to play on the projector, he asks Alex and Blythe if they if Alex wears a flower on his lapel for every concert. They confirm that he does. The projector shows the opening night concert. Columbo stops the tape, and you can clearly see that Alex is not wearing a flower. So what? He starts the tape again, and you can clearly see Alex leaving Jennifer's house with the flower on his lapel. So what? Columbo reminds Alex that he picked up the flower from the floor by the piano at Jennifer's house on the night of the murder, and the only way it could have gotten there was if he was there earlier. Let's listen to the clip of the full get scene. There's the flower. Now that's plain as day. Where did it come from? I don't know. What difference does it make? Well, on the tape at the concert, you weren't wearing a flower. Now on this film coming out of Mrs. Wells' apartment, you have a flower. Where did it come from? Are you actually trying to pin this murder on me with, with that? Yes. Because the only place you could have gotten it was at Miss Wells' apartment when you picked it up at the piano. And that means you had to have been there earlier. I'm very disappointed in you, Columbo. I simply went into my dressing room, pinned on my flower after the concert, and left. Janice always brought in cut flowers every day, didn't you? Why would you put it on after the concert? Why would you put it on after the concert? I don't know. I was in shock. I confused. I just heard that Miss Wells was dead. Mrs. Benedict, is that the way you remember it? You were there. Did he put on a flower after the concert? It's all right, love. Go ahead. No. Let me just see you alone one moment. I could have stood for anything, Alex, anything in the world. Not murder. I'm guilty, you know that. Jasper Reagan, I love you. I've always loved you. Good episode. Okay, so John Cassavetes, 
born December 9th, 1929, died February 3rd, 1989, at 59 years old. He was an actor, director, screenwriter, good pals with uh, Peter Falk. Um, it's nice that they got to do a Columbo episode together. There's good chemistry. I like the way he acts. It's kind of fun. It's my understanding that they were both good pals with uh, Ben Gazzara as well. And um, Dick Miller. Um, I recently watched a, a documentary about Dick Miller because he's a character actor that's in like everything. Um, yeah, so that's kind of cool. Now, Blythe Danner, uh, she is Gwyneth Paltrow's mom. I didn't, I don't know her from anything else, to be honest, but I don't know. I guess she, she has done some, some acting and whatnot. I don't really know anything with her. I mean, she does seem to have like quite the filmography, but I just, I just, I don't think I've known her to be in anything. I may have seen some stuff with her, but I just didn't even know she was in it. She's born uh, February 3rd, 1943, still alive. So she's about 77 years old. Um, like I said, Gwyneth Paltrow's mom. That's it. Nothing notable in the filmography that really jumps out at me. Oh, she was in Future World. Yeah, of course. I, uh, I've seen Future World. Also in this episode, making a small appearance as uh, one of the servants at the Benedict House was Pat Morita. Wax on, wax off. That guy. Um, yeah, he was like a butler or something. And the director was, I mentioned this earlier, Nicholas Colasanto. I believe that was the old coach on the show Coach with Craig T. Nelson. Not Craig T. Nelson, obviously, but the older coach. He's kind of like the... He was the dumb one on the episode. Well, no, there was another big dumb guy, too. I was thinking he's like the... Yeah, you know what? It's like Cheers, right? Because you have... I was going to say he's like the Woody Woody Harrelson, but then I thought, oh, no, he's more like the coach from Cheers. But Woody Harrelson was like the dumb guy. They had the same dynamic. Uh, it doesn't matter. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Next week on the Predictably Treacherous Podcast, Greenhouse Jungle, starring Ray Milland and Bradford Dillman. Here's a brief summary. In order to gain access to Tony's trust fund, Tony and his uncle Jarvis Goodland stage Tony's kidnapping. Jarvis double-crosses Tony by killing him and attempting to frame his philandering wife. Tune in next week. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you.